Well, as Brian already mentioned, uh, this morning we're continuing in our series that we started this year in uh, called Give, Pray, Fast. And we got this series straight from Jesus' mouth in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives his disciples three disciplines that we should practice if we want to kind of live the rewarding life that he promises. And right now, if you're just joining us for the first week, we are smack dab in the middle of that section on prayer. We've had three weeks on it. We have two more uh, to go starting today. And for the last three weeks, we've been looking at this amazing practice of prayer. And we've come to the agreement, I think, that certainly all of us at seasons in our lives, if not right now, have gone through times when we felt frustrated in our prayer lives, or we've felt dry, or we felt uncertain about how to pray or what to pray. But hopefully, this series has already begun to give you some tools in order to grow in our prayer lives. And this morning, I have the great privilege of sharing with you, personally from my heart, the thing in my life that most helped me grow in my prayer life. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. However, I want to give you a couple of warnings before we go there. This morning is going to be a little bit different than what you might be used to if you normally uh, come to Cherry Hills. If this is your first week, uh, don't think this is how it's going to be every week. I'm not always going to talk this long, but you'll see already on your message notes if you follow along, it's a double-sider. You can all groan right now. Go ahead. I understand. And if you don't use message notes normally, I would just encourage you, this might be a great week to do that, and here's why. More than me talking at you, what this is really going to be, I'd like you to think about this more as a workshop on how to pray. We want to learn how to pray, and so I'm going to talk about the thing that helped me learn most how to pray. So I want you to just think about it in terms of a workshop. Now, before we go there, I've been thinking about this this week, and I wonder, is it strange to you? Does it seem a little bit weird to you that we're talking about learning how to pray? I mean, I kind of thought when I was saved by God's grace that immediately I would just know how to do this thing. Like these words would just start flowing out of me and I would just be swept up in the glory and awe of my prayer life. And yet, that's not exactly what happened. In fact, it didn't look anything like that. And I just wondered, I just must not have it. There must be something wrong with me. I was frustrated. I was dry. I felt just not sure what to do. And I wonder, I hope you've been coming to learn that that's not how it works. We were never expected to just know how to do this thing called prayer. In fact, we're going to learn our whole lives how to pray, right? We will never master it. I want to think about this analogy. I was thinking about this this week. Does a child, when they enter into the world, we just celebrated uh, the birth of another baby, do they immediately know how to speak? Not unless you consider screaming and crying speaking. No, they take months of watching their parents and family and siblings, learning to mimic how to speak their words, and then add on top of that years it's going to take them to find the nuances of the language, to learn how to read. Why do we think it would be any different for us, for those of us who have been born again in Christ? It's not going to just come immediately. We are going to need to learn how to pray. And here's what I love about God, our Father. He wants to help us do that exact same thing. He wants to help us to learn how to pray because he doesn't want us to just pray at him. That's what I did for so long in my life, just prayed at him. He wants to pray with me. He wants to pray 
with you. And so, just like a parent teaching their child to speak and read, here's what he does. He provides us, his children, with resources to learn and grow in this area. And I want to talk to you about one of them this morning. That might surprise you, but if you're following on your notes, it's this. God has given us the Bible as a guide for prayer or a tool for prayer. The reason I say that might surprise you, correct me if I'm wrong, but so often today, especially in our Western culture, have we not separated those two disciplines from each other? Reading the Bible and prayer. It's two different things I do, right? These are two separate things. I read the Bible, uh, and then I pray, then I pray. But why separate those two things? Why, Why do we do that? Can I suggest that we can learn to talk to our Heavenly Father just as we learn by mimicking the words of our parents by using the gift of His Word to us? By using the Bible that He's given us to pray? Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It's living. It's active. And so I believe it can infuse my life, my prayer life included, with power and authority. It can give me a foundation upon which to stand in fellowship with God, which is what He wants in prayer anyway. I shared honestly with you, at first in my life, my prayer life struggled. I, I got so kind of defeated uh, by it. It followed a very predictable routine and pattern. It's all I knew. It was basically, God, thank you for this day. I screwed up again. Forgive me. And here's what I need. Now keep me safe. Right? That's always the one we throw in there. Keep me safe and my family safe. That was my prayer life. And I knew something wasn't right. This is lacking. Jesus talked about experiencing this joy and this fellowship with the Father, and I didn't have it. So I began to study prayer. I, I began to read some of the classics, some of the great books on prayer, and I came to this amazing understanding that part of what God's Word has been given to us for is to teach us and to help us grow in our prayer lives. I, however, had separated the two. Friends, nobody here can learn how to pray fully on their own. But the amazing thing is, God doesn't expect us to. He never did. He doesn't expect you to muster up these amazing prayers to try to impress Him. He has given you His Word, this gift that you have sitting on your lap. And with so many things in our lives, He provides, doesn't He? He provides for us in this area of prayer. Now that leads to a specific question for us this morning, which is, well, where? Where can we go in the Bible to learn how to pray? And the answer to that is everywhere. You can pray all of Scripture. In fact, next week, Jeff is going to talk about how we can pray Paul's prayers when we're praying for other people. He has some amazing prayers. And we can use those when we're praying for other people. Uh, However, I'll just pause here and say, throughout history, both in the Hebrew tradition, the Jewish tradition, and in the Christian tradition, there has been one place in the Bible people have looked to for centuries to learn how to pray, and it is the Psalms. It is the book of Psalms. In fact, if you're following on your notes there, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. I'm telling you, more people in history have learned how to pray because of the Psalms than any other way. The Psalms were the prayer book of Israel, The Psalms would have been the prayer book of Jesus. I mean, when Jesus grew up, you even see it in his life and ministry, he would have prayed these prayers. These were prayers that he took with him, and they became the prayers of the church until today. 
No time, no century have we ever disregarded the Psalms like we have today. And so my intention this morning is we reclaim this gift God has given us. He wants to help us to pray, and the Psalms can be an incredible tool in that. So if you would, take your Bible and turn it to Psalm chapter 1, the very first Psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. And if you're getting used to where things are in your Bible, Psalms are basically halfway through there, so you can find that. It's right before Proverbs. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, as we do every week, we encourage you to grab one of the black ones in the seat in front of you, and you can find Psalm 1 on page 374. 374. Now, while you're turning there, uh, let me offer this time to, to the Lord in prayer. I think that's appropriate for us. Lord, you know how long I struggled with this idea of prayer, and I still have not mastered it. And yet you have given us a gift to help us to grow and learn in this. And my prayer, as it has been all week this morning, is that for those who may be here who have been frustrated or dry or uncertain, God, that you would just reveal to them how your word can be a gift in prayer, a tool. Go before us now. Make your word living and active in this place, sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Well, to give you a little context, now that you're at Psalm 1, uh, the Psalms, you have to understand, they weren't written by one person. They were actually a collection of prayers, a collection of songs uh, that were gathered together throughout many, many years. And eventually, they were put together in a book, the book that we have now, the book of Psalms. There are 150 of these Psalms. Now, the reason I want you to know that is not so you have some trivia about the Psalms. It's because you need to understand it is no accident that Psalm 1 is Psalm 1. It is no accident that Psalm 1 is the very first Psalm in this book. For the people who put these Psalms together, this is going to set the stage for everything else that follows. And what Psalm 1 is, it's a call to use this book and honestly, all of Scripture as a way and as a means to worship and pray to God. So let's unpack Psalm 1 together, starting in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one, and that could just as easily be translated as happy. You want to be happy? You want to be joyful? Happy is the one who does not walk in, the, in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Have you tried those things? Have you come to see that they really don't lead to a joyful life, to a vibrant life? That it's not the way of happiness? So what is? What is the way of happiness? Read verse 2 out loud with me on your notes there. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. True joy, if you're on your notes, true joy comes from meditating on God's law. From meditating on God's law. Now we need to break that down a little bit. First thing I just want to say is that word law. That's an unfortunate uh, translation of this beautiful Hebrew word Torah, which means instruction. I know when you hear the word law, what do we immediately think of? All the things God tells us not to do, right? Or the things he tells us to do. But it means so much more than that. It's talking about the whole counsel of Scripture. God's very words to us. And as God's people, we delight in His words because they show us the way of life. 
They show us the path of wisdom and righteousness. We delight in them. We take heart in them. They are God's gift to us. Friends, I'll just ask you, is that how you view that book sitting on your lap right now? It is an amazing gift that God has given His people and He uses it to reach us and touch us and shape us. And if that's the case, we're told that the secret to joy is to meditate on it. To meditate on it. Now, I know a lot of you are getting nervous right now, and I'm using the word meditate in a Christian church. Because the unfortunate reality is, when we hear that word today, what do we immediately think of? We think of uh, Eastern philosophy or the New Age movement, which has taken meditation to mean emptying my mind or emptying my consciousness, right? A, A state of nothingness. That's what meditation means. But in the Bible, it means the complete opposite thing. The complete opposite thing. If you're following on your notes there, meditate means filling our mind and heart with God's truth. Filling our mind and heart with God's truth. I'm guessing, for most of you, when you think about your personal devotional life, some of you might call that a quiet time, two things are involved, right? You get up at 6 a.m., just like you're supposed to every day, and you do two things. What do you do? You read the Bible, and you pray. That's how we've pretty much reduced uh, the personal, you know, devotional life. I read the Bible and I pray. I read the Bible and I pray. pray. But listen to this. Meditation, which is a discipline that has been practiced throughout the Christian century, is neither of those and it is both of those. Think about that. It is neither of those and yet it is both of those. What do I mean? Well, I want to give you a quick picture to always think about when you hear the word meditation. It's simply moving God's word from here to here. It's moving God's word from here to here. I love how Psalm 119 puts this in verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I mean, that is quite A way to view God's Word, isn't it? I mean, they are tasting it. They are internalizing it. They are are personalizing God's Word. They are taking it in. And that's all meditation really is. It's just taking it in to my heart. Moving it from my mind into my whole uh, being. As one author says, meditation is taking seriously Jesus' Word to abide in Him and His words. That's what he says in John 15. I'd put it this way. Uh, Think of it as a chain. Meditation is the link between prayer and Scripture. It's the link between prayer and Scripture. And what I mean is, if I read Scripture without prayer, so often what that will just turn into is an intellectual exercise. I mean, tell me, you don't fall into this because I do this way too often. I've got my little daily reading plan because, you know, we challenge each other to be in God's Word every day. I've got that. I've got it all laid out. I even have a little box I can check next to it when I'm finished, and I love that. (laughs) And what happens is I'll read it. I'll read all that I have. I mean, every day I'm in God's Word. I'm reading it, and I will check that off, and I'll feel pretty good about myself. And then three hours later, I'll realize, what did I read today? What, what did I read? I mean, I read the Bible, but I left it here. I, I didn't bring it here. And that's the link between Scripture reading and the Bible. And the link between prayer and the Bible is this. It gives us guidance. It gives us guidance in what to pray. 
and how to pray. I mean, instead of me mustering up stuff to try to impress God, he gives it to me when I internalize it. Meditation is this beautiful gift. It's neither or both, but it links them together. So again, if you're following on your notes, it's simply internalizing God's word and praying it back to him. Internalizing God's word. It's sweeter than honey. Taking it in and then praying it back to him. And again, I'm not talking about just mindlessly repeating it. I'm talking about chewing on it, taking it in, personalizing it, and then using that as the basis or platform for prayer. So enough of this idea that meditation, you know, belongs to the New Age or Eastern philosophy. It belongs to us. And it is a gift. We fill our minds with God's truth and we move it into our hearts. And when we do that, look at what this psalm promises in verse 3. Let's read that out loud together. It says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, Whatever they do prospers. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We've been saying in this series, when we give, pray fast, as Jesus teaches, it will bring reward. Psalm 1 agrees completely. When we practice this idea of praying scriptures or meditating upon God's word, we will be like a tree. I mean, can you picture this? This strong tree next to this river whose roots are going down and they are being nourished and they are flourishing and they are bearing fruit. That's, that is a rewarding life. In fact, if you're following on your notes there, the path to a rewarding life comes by praying God's word. Do you want that? Well, if you do, I want to spend the rest of this morning learning how. How can we actually pray the Psalms. And before we say that, though, I just want to get, say one more thing. Why the Psalms specifically? I kind of mentioned a couple of reasons, but here is what I believe. More than any other book, if you're following on your notes, the Psalms take us deep into our own hearts. In other words, I think more than any other book in Scripture, it moves us from here to here. I mean, there is soul stuff in the Psalms, right? Have you read the Psalms? That stuff comes from the souls, from the gut comes from the heart. It moves us deep within our heart. And then secondly, it forces us to deal with God as He is, not as we wish He was. So here's what I mean by that. So often in my prayer life, I just stayed pretty superficial with God. It just was superficial, right? I kind of kept Him at arm's length. Uh, I had all the same words I would say. Uh, but the Psalms kind of force you to actually look inside of yourself. They take you deep within. In fact, you're going to see if you read the Psalms, there are prayers of fear, anxiety, praise, anger, love, sorrow, despair, gratitude, grief, doubt, suffering, joy, vengeance, repentance. Every human emotion and experience we could have flows to the surface in these incredible words. And knowing that I have a resource like that, knowing I have a resource like that helps me be more honest and authentic in my time with God. It helps me move beyond the surface stuff that I so often stay in. And the second thing they do is they help turn my times of prayer away from what I talked about several weeks ago when I so easily just turn God into that cosmic vending machine. Right? Pop in my prayer, out comes a request. God is the great request giver. 
I mean, we've all struggled with that concept of God, but in the Psalms, oh my goodness, we are forced with a totally different reality of God. We are given the full spectrum of God and His might and His power and His wisdom and His sovereignty. And on the other side, we hear things of His grace and mercy and compassion and kindness on His people. I mean, we are just taken into the depths of who God is. When I turn God into who I wish He was, though, I'm just making Him into an idol. I'm breaking the second commandment. I'm turning him into my own image. But the Psalms will not afford us to do that. So that's why the Psalms. So the rest of the morning, this is where we're going to get really workshoppy. I know you're already sick of hearing my voice, but you're going to hear it a little bit more. We're going to do two things. The first thing I want to talk about is the different types of Psalms you're going to find in the book of Psalms. And the reason I want to do this is so that you're, you know you have a resource for where you can go no matter what season of life you may be in. You need a you need to pray a prayer of praise, then we're going to talk about that. Or we're going to talk about all the variety of human emotions. And I'm sure I could break this up into 12 categories or three categories, but I'm doing it in six, uh, and hopefully these can be helpful to you. And then after that, we're going to actually talk about how. Let's get down and dirty and pray the Psalms together, okay? So that's where we're going. You ready? You super pumped? All right. The first type of psalms, and by far the most numerous, if you're following, are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. Psalms of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, that's what, I mean, you read the psalms, that's what you see, right? Just praise and thanksgiving. We talked about this several weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, what's the next word? And what did that mean? It means declaring God's greatness and what Jesus is inviting us to do is when we enter into a time of prayer we should be spending some of that time declaring God's greatness setting them apart as holy and I think all of us in this room would agree that we fall a little bit short in that in our prayers I I just don't have the language or I don't have the words or that's the shortest part of my prayers quite honestly and yet here we go again God has given us this incredible resource This incredible book that is just full and full and full of ways to praise God for his goodness, to thank him for what he does in our lives. If you're following on your notes, these psalms teach us to worship. These psalms teach us to worship. For example, and now we're going to get interactive here. I want to read all these psalms out loud together. We're going to get examples in each of these, okay? So one of my favorites, Psalm 103, let's read it. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I mean, it's just a reminder of the many, many reasons I have to praise and thank God. Or how about this one from Psalm 139? Again, read it with me. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Just two tiny examples of some of the praise that is offered to God in the Psalms. And we can take that and internalize it and make it our own and pray it back to Him. In the Psalms, we discover God is powerful, creator, sovereign, compassionate, kind, merciful, and so much more. And beyond that, we discover the amazing benefits we have simply by being His children. 
do we just pause sometimes in our prayer life and thank God for the benefit it is to be his child? The Psalms can help us do that. And even more than that, one of the things I've been learning is the Psalms help us point to the coming day. These psalms of praise and thanksgiving, they help us point to the coming day when Jesus Christ will reign for all eternity at the consummation of the ages when he returns. And they set within me a heart of expectation and praise and anticipation for that. So again, we're all learning to pray, right? None of us are experts, uh, probably in, in this area of adoration. So here's an idea. Why don't you read some of these psalms I've listed there before and use them as a springboard? to praise and thank God. There's no better place to start. The second most common kind of prayer found in the Psalms, number two there, is Psalms of lament. Lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. And you've probably seen these if you've read the Psalms. These are Psalms that are spoken by people who are in just intense despair. Intense suffering. Or if you're following, these Psalms seek God's deliverance in hardship. And I'm telling you, there is hardship of all sorts in the Psalms. There are prayers for deliverance from enemies, deliverance from suffering, deliverance from illness, deliverance from loneliness, from threat, from persecution, from imprisonment. Listen, from whatever situation we might find ourselves in here on earth as fragile human beings. Have you ever found yourself in a time of hardship? If you're a human being, you have found yourself in a time of hardship. There shouldn't be one head not nodding right now. And what an amazing tool God has given us when we're in those seasons to have these prayers for us. One of the things you're going to notice in these psalms is how raw they are. They're just raw. They go right to the heart of these people. For example, I have Psalm 142, 6 and 7 out loud. Let's read it. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. I mean, there are some serious emotions going on there, aren't there? You'll also see in these Psalms, there are questions for God. Why? Why is this happening? Where have you gone, O Lord? Will you depart from your servant for all time? Now, I know we get really uncomfortable with that, right? Because in church, we're supposed to pretend everything's good, put on our smiles, and act like God's just blessing me. And yet, right here in his word, we have these amazing, raw emotions of people wondering what God is doing in their lives. And I love it. Because God loves nothing more for us to bring the real us to him. To go to the depths of our heart in our hardships and to bring it to him. Now don't get me wrong, there aren't going to necessarily be any answers for whatever hardship you might be facing in the Psalms. Indeed, the only answer comes thousands of years later in the person of Jesus Christ. Who while he was on a cross bearing all my sufferings and my hardships and my sin and my diseases, cried out straight from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I can look to these psalms and know that I am praying to a God who took it upon himself. And that is the only answer I need. He is with me through whatever it is I'm facing. And these psalms can be a great tool for us in those seasons. A third type of psalm is what's called psalms of pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. I thought it tried to change that word, but really, that's what it is. These are just songs that they would sing, the Israelites would sing on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the various festivals and feasts of the Jewish calendar. Now listen, we don't do that anymore today. However, the reason I kept this here is because the idea behind these psalms still applies to us, maybe more than ever. And the idea, if you're following, is this. These psalms prepare us to encounter God. They prepare us to encounter God. In other words, they prepare in our hearts a kind of reverent worship that is so lacking today. It is so lacking today. In our churches, it's lacking today in my personal devotional life. How many mornings do I wake up and just kind of flippantly open up my Bible, just kind of getting it done with or kind of just viewing coming to church on Sunday as a consumer what am I going to get out of this I need to be reminded the reason I am here the reason I open up God's word the reason I pray is because I am encountering God and he is holy and he is majestic and mighty and these psalms can prepare me for this time of worship my favorite is Psalm 84 1 One and two, can we read this out loud? How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I mean, how about praying that before we come to church? I mean, is that really my desire? I asked the praise team before I got up here to do that song. Come, let us worship and bow down. It's straight from Psalm 95. It's a song of preparation. Why? We're about to encounter God. That's why we're here. That's why I get up in the morning to fellowship with God. So maybe a couple ideas for you is as a family on your way to church, what about reading one of these sometime? Preparing your hearts for what we're about to do. Or maybe if your devotional times have been a little bit lacking, what about reading some of these? Starting here and just reminding yourself who you are actually encountering in this time. Fourth, fourth type of psalm is called wisdom psalms. Wisdom. If you're following, these psalms instruct us in the way of righteousness. They instruct us, I'll just put it this way, in God's way. It instructs us how to walk in God's way, in the way of righteousness. How many of you have ever asked this question, what is God's will for my life? What does God want for me in this situation? How do I know this is what he's leading me to? Have you ever asked that? It's the most often asked question I think we get as pastors. And while these psalms probably aren't going to have a specific answer to all of our questions, what they do is they take us back and remind us That the way of God is the right way. And I need to be reminded of this often because following Christ today is getting harder and harder, right? And I wonder, is it worth it? Is this really worth it? Is this really worth it? And these psalms remind me, it's worth it. It's worth it. It is so worth it. For example, Psalm 92. Let's read it. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. 
They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in Him. Now just keep that up. I mean, I just want you to imagine. Maybe your workplace is being really hard right now. It's hard to stand out as a Christian. Maybe you're at a school where you're made fun of or persecuted because of your beliefs. Maybe you're up older in your life and you're wondering, what do I have left? What does God have left for me? I love that it says they'll still stay fresh and proclaim fruit if we follow the way of the Lord. And it is so worth it. We will flourish. We will flourish in His way, in His path, in His wisdom. A fifth type of psalm is what are called cursing psalms. And I'm not talking about swear words. Cursing psalms, cursing psalms, not swear words, but if you're following, these are prayers for God's judgment against an enemy. Prayers for God's judgment against an enemy. Now, if you've ever read the book of Psalms, you've probably come across one of these and wondered, what in the world is this all about? Why is this in the Bible? Did God make some sort of mistake? What are we supposed to do with these things as Christians? For example, look at David's prayer in Psalm 58. He's praying it against unjust rulers. Let's read this. You never thought you'd read something like this in church. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer. However skillful the enchanter may be, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. Tell us how you really feel, David. (laughs) How do we deal with that? Well, there's two crucial things to understand about the cursing psalms. The first is there are always prayers against God and God's enemies and God's ways. There are prayers against people who are getting in the way of God's way, of His kingdom as we sang about. And the second thing is they're never prayers for personal revenge. It's not, God, I want you to smite Fred because he got the promotion I deserved. No, these are prayers for God to bring His justice about in situations that are unjust. That only God's justice can solve or create. Now you might be wondering, when would I ever pray a psalm like this? I mean, when would this ever happen? Well, let me just ask you, we just prayed this morning, Pastor Brian prayed, and we praised God that he freed Tom Randall from unjustly being put in prison. And I got to tell you, three weeks ago, I prayed for that. We prayed for that together as a church. And uh, if you were here, I use the word, vindicate him, Lord. That comes straight from one of these psalms. That God would vindicate His righteous servant and release him from this unfair, unjust situation. And we praised God this morning, didn't we? That's exactly how He answered our prayer. Maybe you have a passion for the evil that is sex trafficking in this world. Would it be appropriate to pray for God's justice to be done in that situation? Maybe you have a passion for the persecuted church. You know, we pray for their safety, I know. And maybe we should also pray that God would reveal His strong right hand in their midst. That He would be a consuming fire on behalf of His people. I love that God includes these prayers in His Word. I love it. 
It means that we have a way to now deal with our rage and our anger. We can strip it bare before God. I don't have to pretend I'm not feeling outrage about a situation. I bring it to Him. I mean, if you don't believe me, we have books like Job and Habakkuk and Jeremiah do the same thing. Just strip themselves bare. But here's what I've discovered when I start praying these psalms. More often than not, what they do is they make me look at myself and see I need to be corrected as well. I have bitterness or anger that I haven't dealt with, that I need God to deal with. And even more than that, it helps me to see what I deserve. God reminds me I deserve His justice and His wrath. And instead, instead what He has given me is mercy and grace and forgiveness. And maybe, Steve, maybe, Steve, in this situation you're praying about right now, you need to offer that same forgiveness. I love that God includes these. The last one I'll briefly mention here is one Jeff spoke about brilliantly last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to that message. But they're psalms of confession. Psalms of confession. These are psalms that lead us to recognize our sin before God, but also give us confidence that we can have in His forgiveness. The most famous is Psalm 51. David prayed this after his adultery with Bathsheba and uh, his uh, murder of Uriah. And I just, wow, there's just something about this prayer, friends. Let's read it out loud. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. These psalms have helped me so much because I would get to a time in my prayers, you know, where I would do the usual, God, I did it again, sorry. But what this does, it just goes deeper, doesn't it? It reveals you know, what my sin really is in God's sight, but it also reveals to me the incredible grace and mercy He's given to me. They are words I just didn't have before, but they bring us into a depth in our acknowledgement and relationship and fellowship with God. So those are some of the types of psalms, and hopefully you can use that as a resource for years to come as you look through them, but I want to close this morning by talking about now how to actually pray the psalms. How do we actually do this? And while there's no right way, I want to just offer a couple of suggestions that have been most helpful for me. Before I say that, though, I want to say, reiterate something Jeff said several weeks ago. And this should be, I wish I did this more. I just don't do this enough. But if you're following on your notes, begin by asking the Spirit to lead your time of prayer. As Jeff said, the minute you received Christ, He gave you the gift of His Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 tells us the Spirit wants to intercede on our behalf. It wants to take part. The Spirit wants to join us in prayer. So what I'm just saying here is too often I made prayer about speaking to God. Right? I'm speaking at God, but what the Holy Spirit, when I invite the Holy Spirit to take part in my prayer life, I'm asking Him to join me. Let's do this together, Lord. I want to pray with you, not at you. And I can tell you, the more I do that, the more vitality I have in my prayer life. Now, after you've done that, here are a couple tools I'll just mention. 
how to pray the Psalms. First one is simply this, if you're following on your notes, rewrite the Psalm in your own words. Just rewrite the Psalm in your own words. Write it as a prayer. I know some people who have tried this and they absolutely hate it. But it doesn't have to be complicated, friends. It doesn't have to be, there's no right or wrong. Let me just relieve that burden from you. You don't have to come up with the most eloquent rewrite of the Psalms. It's just taking what you've internalized and writing it back out to God. It's a simple exercise. So listen, I have two Psalms that are on your notes. You see them. Psalm 150 and Psalm 35. One of them is a Psalm of praise and one of them is a lament Psalm. I think you can figure out which one is which. Depending where you might be right now, maybe you, you're in a struggle. I would just ask, try it. Rewrite Psalm 35. Or maybe you just want to grow in your ways to praise God, to give Him thanks. Rewrite Psalm 150. I'm going to give you a minute or two to do that right now. I want every head looking down. <laughs> workshop, workshop, right? I'm interrupting uh, some of you here, but guess what? You have all week. You can continue to work on that prayer or more. Uh, let me just give you a couple of examples uh, for me. Here's how I rewrote Psalm 150, if this is helpful to you. Lord, I praise you this morning in this place. I join with the host of heaven in praise. I praise you simply because you are great, and there is none like you. That's not Shakespeare. It's just rewriting the psalm in my own words. It's internalizing. It's personalizing. Psalm 35, I just did this. Lord, you know my struggle. I can't fight it alone. I need you to fight it for me, to be my protection and helper at this time. It's just taking this beautiful psalm and turning it into a prayer. It doesn't have to be complicated. All of us can try this and do it, and I encourage you to. A second thing uh, I, would in, I would mention about how you can pray the Bible or just pray the psalms specifically is to follow a model. And what I mean by that, there's all kinds of models to, to follow that you could look out there. The one I have by far found the most helpful for me in my life. In fact, this, more than anything, revolutionized both my daily Bible reading and my prayer time. It's called the SOAP model, S-O-A-P. Let me explain. SOAP stands for, or S stands for Scripture. It stands for Scripture. So again, every day, 
Assuming you have a daily Bible reading plan, you're going to be reading a portion of Scripture. And the idea here is not to take that entire portion that you're reading and try to pray that. It's to begin by asking the Holy Spirit to join you in your reading of Scripture and to reveal a verse or a couple of verses to you this morning that you, want, that you need to see. I'm telling you, God will help you in this. And so you read, your, you read the whole section, you go back to those two verses, or that one verse, and you literally write that out word for word. So let's say I was reading Psalm 73 this morning, and this is what stood out to me in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. I just write that out word for word. Then comes the O, which is observation. Observation. This is when you do some of that meditating work we talked about in Psalm 1. And there are two aspects to meditation. The first part, as we talked about, is understanding, right? It's understanding it here. And let me just say to you, it'd be great if you read your Bible with a a good commentary or, you know, one of those life application Bibles because it gives us a way to understand it. We ask questions of the text like, what kind of psalm is this? Was it a praise and thanksgiving psalm? Is it a lament song? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? What was the season of life they wrote it in? What was the context in which they were writing it? And we write down some of our observations about the psalm. But, and this is huge, don't move on yet. The second part is now to linger on it. To, to internalize God's word, right? Repeat it again and again. Emphasize a different word Bring it into your heart. Taste and see that it is good. And then write out, eventually, what you're doing is moving it from here to here. And then write it out. Listen, I'm in no rush during this section because why? We are like those trees that are planted by the river. And we're growing and nourishing and feeding upon God's word. This will sometimes be my longest section, though. So in Psalm 73, here's what I wrote. This is a psalm of Asaph written at a time when he was struggling with his faith. Because in his experience, the wicked were prospering, and he wasn't, even though he was following the Lord. Yet, when he considers their end, he is reminded of his ultimate reward of following God. Then you move to the A, which stands for application. All right, I invited the Holy Spirit to take part in this. Why is this the verse you wanted me to see? Why? What is it you want me to see about this verse? What do you want me to notice? What difference would it make in my life if I really believed this? Write out the application. Here's what I wrote. This verse reminds me that when my biggest desire is for the Lord, my reward will be eternity with Him. In other words, sometimes my desire isn't for the Lord, just like Asaph. And that's why I struggle in life. But it reminds me that when that is my desire, what a reward I have waiting for me. And then finally, you move to the P, which stands for prayer. You literally write out a prayer based on your observation and application. Here's what I wrote. Lord, forgive me for placing my desire on the things of this world. They will never fulfill me. Will you be my desire today as you are my ultimate reward again? I'm not writing manuscripts but it's a way to take what I've read in God's Word and internalize it, meditate on it, and use that as a springboard for prayer. This doesn't have to be intimidating, does it? We can do this. In fact, if you're in a life group, I'm going to have you do it all together in your group this week. You can roll your eyes at me right now. 
The second method I'm just going to quickly talk about, we're almost done here, is called the tarts method. This is a new one to me, but I like it because it's just kind of asking questions of the text. Some of you like the Socratic style of learning, asking questions. So here all you do, you just ask questions. Number one, the T stands for teaching. What is this psalm or passage of scripture teaching about who God is or what he's done? What is it teaching about me? Again, a commentary would be helpful. Write it down. Move to A, which is adoration. How can I love and praise God on the basis of this teaching? How can I worship? What do I have to worship him here for? R stands for repentance. What is this revealing in my life that I'm falling short in? How does it call me to live differently? The T stands for thanks. How can I thank God in light of this? I mean, if it is an area of repentance, can I thank him for his incredible forgiveness? And then S stands for supplication, which is a fancy word that means it's time to ask God for his help. And we write out a prayer of asking God to help us in what we've just read. Friends, those are just two models. Now, you're probably overwhelmed right now and exhausted. I know I am. That's a lot of my voice. But here is the heart's desire of this morning, friends. We want to be people who learn how to pray. That's, I think, our desire. And hopefully you can walk out of this place this morning with at least a couple ideas and a couple tools of how to do that. God has given you his word as a gift and as a tool. My question to you is, will you use it? Will you use it? If you're falling on your notes, will I use the word as a tool to grow for my prayer life? As we do every week, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to come forward. And if you have a reason for prayer, if you have a reason to come and speak uh, to any of us, we always make ourselves available uh, to that. Uh, For the rest of you this morning, thanks for hanging in there. And again, my prayer this whole week has simply been that you might be able to leave here with an idea of a way to connect to your Father in prayer. God bless you. You're dismissed.